Welcome to Red Carpet Retirement. This podcast is all about helping business owners and those in the entertainment and creative industries secure and protect their financial future. We provide educational stories and specific strategies so you can achieve the red carpet retirement you so richly deserve. Now here's your host, Adam Scott. Hello and welcome to Red Carpet Retirement with your host, Adam Scott. Adam, what's going on? Hey, Eric. uh, Great to be with you here again, as ever. Yeah, good to see you. I know we've got a pretty weighty topic today, um, and that is you said you're going to cover the 10 most important estate planning snafus. I love that word, snafu. That's right, right. I wasn't sure if that's a word known in America, but we could say 10 most important mistakes. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's what we've got a lot to get into, um, and uh, uh, we'll see if we can get through all of them. Okay. Yeah, I I think we can. Um, I know that these are extremely important, and this is something that everybody who has an estate plan or is looking to get an estate plan, they need to take note of. So uh, thankfully, there's a rewind button audience. Uh, You can go back and listen to it. You can make some notes, and you can always just take this to your estate planning attorney and say, hey, look, are we taking care of these things? Are any of these going to be an issue? So let's get started. What's number one? By the way, well, I think, Eric, also I want to point out, these are kind of, uh, if I want to say the 101 of estate planning mistakes. And they actually, the first things I'm going to go into, the first five apply to everybody. You don't have to be some kind of a rich person. In fact, all you have to do is be over the age of 21. Mm. And and these things become... um, important. So even the young listeners or people with kids, you need to pay attention uh, okay. to this. And it's going to get more complex as we as we go on. You know, actually, so I'm going to say one more thing about estate planning is that there's that four quadrant box of important and urgent, not important, not urgent, and important, but not urgent. And uh, you get the picture. Mm-hmm. And many people, People think that estate planning, or for most people, estate planning, they recognize it's important, but they don't think it's urgent. And for number one, I'm going to tell a little story, which I have told before, so long-time listeners may remember. And uh, it's a story about my son. Mm-hmm. And what this is around is a, it's a lesson. Around, the first snafu is not having a medical power of attorney for your, your spouse or your kids, or yourself, medical power of attorney. Now, getting back to my son, and to illustrate the importance of this, of something that's very important, and most people think is not urgent. Mm -hmm. And I learned one day, this thing, it's not urgent until it is. So as, as you may recall, I was working one day in my home office, and I hear screams from the next from the next room, that my wife had just been notified by text that my son had fallen off a cliff in the local uh, mm. in the local state park, and uh, it, she'd been texted by his friends that he had been medevaced out and was on his way to UCLA hospital. There's no word about whether he was alive or dead. And if you fall off this cliff, you're pretty much dead. Yeah, we are. Uh, you know, with my wife screaming, believing that my my son was dead. We're driving along the Pacific Coast Highway, stuck in traffic. And the one thing I know is that if my if we arrive, my son could be dead, he could be alive, or he could be in a coma. Mm-hmm. If he is in a coma, the doctors will not talk to me without 
a medical power of attorney on file in which he has signed and he has given the doctor's authority to speak to me, right? That's what a medical power of attorney is. It allows the doctors to speak to somebody else on your behalf. Mm. And it's really important that people have this. Generally, if you have an estate plan put in place, the attorney is going to do this as part of the package. But people forget to do this for their adult kids. It or adult kids themselves forget to do this or don't know to do it. It it could cost you a hundred bucks, or you could even do it yourself on, mm -hmm. on legal zoom to get this thing in place. Now, luckily, my son well, well, he had one in place, and it turned out, as we're driving along the PCH, we got a call from the hospital, and he's conscious, and he's given them permission to talk to us, so we were okay. And again, long story short, it was almost two years later, and my son is, is completely healed. He's walking again, so all is good. That's awesome. Yeah. Any questions about medical power of attorney? Uh, no. I mean, that's, right. obviously, it's very, very important, so um, that's that's number one. Right, right. So along the same lines as something that is uh, that seemingly is important but not urgent is a living will, or also known as an advanced healthcare directive. Mm -hmm. And these things seem so abstract, abstract, you know, um, until they aren't right. This idea mm -hmm. of a living will. What is a living will? What is an advanced healthcare directive? It tells the doctors how you want to be cared for again if you can't speak for yourself now the advanced healthcare directive supersedes the medical power of attorney so eric if something happens to you and you also your wife has a medical power of attorney the doctors are first going to look at what you said you wanted to happen to you in your advanced healthcare directive did you want okay. to be taken off life support you know after two weeks or six months or, or or not? Do you want to be on it forever? You know, your might, your wife, you're on life support. Maybe your wife um, likes the young pool guy, and she wants to turn off the. <laughs> she know, likes she that wants... check from the insurance company. <laughs> right, right, exactly. We're yes. going to give him twenty four hours, and uh... <laughs> right, yeah, she gets you chomping at the bit to turn yeah. off the life support. <laughs> but if your advanced healthcare directive says no, Eric is going to, you know, he's going to be on life support from. Uh, 45, we're going to call you 45, Eric. Oh, thank you. From, <laughs> very nice of you. From age 45 to 95, if that's what your advanced healthcare directive says, your wife cannot turn off uh, that life support and get the check, or vice versa. And just to show why this is, why this is not abstract, my brother-in-law, my sister's husband, mm -hmm. tragically died uh, just a year younger than me. Mm. Uh, and my sister, um, uh, he had an aneurysm. He, he, he was suddenly sick for two weeks. He seemed like he was recovering. Then suddenly out of the blue, he got an aneurysm. And, uh, and he, you know, the doctors told my sister that he was brain dead. But here was the man she'd been married to and loved for over 30 years, the father yeah. of her four children. Mm. Like, she's gone from two weeks earlier, like normal, happy love of her life, He's sick for two weeks. Suddenly, she's faced with turning off machines. Yeah. And how much easier that decision is to make if someone has an advanced healthcare directive that says, yes, if this happens, I want, I want, it's my decision to turn off the machines. And you know, how much that would have relieved my sister of yeah. any sense of guilt.
in doing that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. It's powerful. Yeah. So please, everybody, again, a simple thing uh, that you can get in place. If you've got an, if you've got estate documents, just check it's in there. It probably is. But if it isn't, you know, for a hundred bucks, you can get one or you can, you can do it yourself for even less probably uh, online. And they can be very complex, by the way. You can put a lot of detail into mm -hmm. a living will. But okay, moving on. Well, well, hang on before before you <laughs> yeah. move on because I, I we joked about my wife flipping the switch, right? You know, pull that mm -hmm. plug, get the insurance money. But can you imagine somebody having to go through that if there wasn't a living will that says, "Hey, look, give me two weeks." You know, if it's if I'm brain dead and it's and two weeks later nothing miraculous has happened, pull the plug. You know, there's a lot of spouses out there that would just hold on to hope and right. wait months and months and months even longer and that would absolutely most likely would absolutely destroy them financially and right. nobody wants that for their spouse right i mean nobody wants their spouse to be you know hey we got insurance money we got this stuff but now we're going to go into millions of dollars of debt to keep somebody on life support for a long time and and then it just wipes them out completely and then they're you know basically destitute for the rest of their lives or they owe these medical bills for the rest of their lives because they they just tried to hang on right exactly yeah. And there was a very famous case of Terry, Terry Shrivo, who did not have such a thing in place. That's right. And it went to, you know, it, it, it went to, um, you know, uh, the, the, the courts to determine, uh, you know, her, uh, what her husband wanted versus what her parents want, wanted. Mm -hmm. So they were on opposite sides of, of keeping her alive. Um, yeah. and as I say, it's, can be complex in a living will. You can talk about whether you want to be kept, uh, whether it's just um, ventilation that's keeping you alive, you know, whether you want to be fed intravenously. Um, anyway, I'm not going to get into the complexities, but again, yeah. it seems such a simple thing. It's actually quite a complex document. Got it. So next thing, uh, number three is a financial power of attorney. And make sure you have that in place. And there's a what's called a springing power of attorney, which means if circumstances arise where you cannot manage your own finances, either because you're in a coma or you know you're very or you're mentally incapacitated, mm -hmm. or maybe you could just have gone abroad and you've kind of disappeared abroad, but your bills still need to be paid and nobody can get hold of you because something's happened to you. You've been taken hostage. I mean, that's mm. an extreme thing. But things happen like that when people are traveling abroad. This enables somebody to maintain your life, your financial life on your behalf, you know, pay your mortgage so you don't lose your house. Yeah. So that's a durable power of attorney or actually, or a springing. A springing comes into effect if it can be shown that you can't um, take care of your own, uh, your own finances for the kind of reasons I've just talked about. Okay. A, a durable gives that power to somebody like right away on a day-to-day -day basis. Like, you know, I have a durable power of attorney, you know, with my wife, she can, and most people will in their estate plan with their, their husbands and wives, they may well have a durable power of attorney. Your spouse can automatically act on your behalf. Got it. Um, I could go more into details about spring versus durable, but we're going to keep moving forward. Okay. Number four, not updating your beneficiaries. Now, we help clients do this. We pay attention to this. We show our clients who the beneficiaries are. And again, it seems it seems so routine that it is easily overlooked. You know, beneficiaries, just to be clear, are on something like an IRA or they can be on a normal account who your money is going to go to if you die. By the way, that supersedes your will. It doesn't matter what you say in your will or in your trust. If you have beneficiaries listed on an account, 
it's going to go to those beneficiaries. So people often end up with their ex-wife or their ex-husband listed on some old mm. plan at work or on some old IRA. They think that their will is going to take care of it or their trust is going to take care of it. No, you've got to make sure you update those beneficiaries. Yeah, that's a bad situation, especially if they remarried. Exactly. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, by the way, you know, I've seen uh, on an incoming client, I saw a completely random person put on by their previous bank uh, as as the beneficiary, Jeez. right? And then that client, she was an elderly lady, and I was working with her son. And that client died shortly thereafter. It would have, you know, thank goodness, with a simple little stroke of a pen. We updated that beneficiary to us, yeah, uh, with yeah. her permission, of course, but to her son. I mean, she had no idea who this random person was. It was a mistake by the previous firm, wow. but it would have resulted in some kind of a legal you know, hassle. In fact, she might not have been able to change it at all mm -hmm. if we hadn't caught it. Yeah. So right, what's well, number five? Number five. So is making sure that in a state like California, you hold your assets as what are called community property. And California is what's called a community property state. And there are several community property states. You know, Texas is also a community property state. And that means that you're holding your property, I hate to use the word jointly, uh, in community with your partner that is considered the 100% co-owned. Okay. And if you, you're in a community property house uh, state, and if you, for instance, own a house, you want that house to be titled as community property, either in your trust as community property or not, or as community property in the title, not just joint tenant with right of survivorship, which is normally old school, how people used to hold, hold their houses, joint, joint tenants with right of survivorship, mm -hmm. um, which meant that it would go to your husband or wife on your death. But the, thing about community property is that if your spouse dies, when you inherit that the house, you get what's called a 100% step up in basis on their death. It means that if you were to sell the house, let's say uh, you, you would owe no, no tax, because it's as if you've just bought that house at that price. That, yep. That's called step up. So if I bought my house for $300,000 in California, in you know 1996 $300,000 and let's say today it's worth 3 million dollars if i was to sell my house today worth 3 million dollars let's say my wife and i we had a 3 million dollar house and we choose to sell it we're going to owe a ton of capital gains tax yeah now if my wife if i if she goes into a coma and i pull the plug to get back to our story my wife dies I get a hundred percent base uh, step up on my house. I, if I sell it, it's as if I just bought it for $3 million. When I sell it. I've not made a profit, right? If I don't hold it in community property, I would owe 50%, you know, my wife's share of that house. I would mm. owe tax on, uh, actually, sorry, on my share, I would owe tax when I sell the house after my wife had died gotcha. but with community property, we get a hundred percent step up. Mm. That's a good point. Yeah, really important, really important to make sure you such a simple thing to make sure it's titled correctly, so yeah. easily overlooked. Yeah, and the state's not going to tell you this, right? I mean, they're no. <laughs> they're, they're like, oh, we'd like our money. Uh, so no. yeah, yeah, gotcha. All right, what's number six? 
Uh, by the way, you know, no one's really going to tell you that. Even with an attorney, they're often going to write the documents. They're not necessarily going to follow through on making sure you've, you've got mm. this stuff titled correctly. So you really need to w work with a financial advisor, financial planner, who is on top of this stuff to make sure you're holding it correctly. Yeah. Okay, number six. Now we're getting into the big stuff. Not understanding the unified gift and estate tax exemption. Yeah. Sometimes uh, mistakenly called the death tax, right? Mm -hmm. So the unified gift and estate tax exemption is uh, the amount that you can give or leave to people on your death, which is not subject to any kind of uh, estate tax. Now, you may be subject, depending on your state, you better be careful because you could be subject to, to state taxes as opposed to estate taxes. Mm -hmm. But uh, the exemption um, in, yeah, not understanding the federal exemption is, it's kind of, it amazes me how many people do not understand that they have an estate tax exemption and not understanding what it is. So Eric, I'm sure you know what the estate tax is, how much it is. Well, it, I think it changes quite a bit it does. I mean, it does. here, here yes. and there, but I, I thought the last time I heard it was like 12, uh, 12, 12 million per person, uh, yeah, very close, million. very close. Very okay, close. where are we at now? Yeah, we're just under 13 million. Okay, just well, that's under, good. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's good if you got 13 million. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> yeah. Just, just yeah. for the listening audience, not me. <laughs> right. And if my kids are listening, don't even think about it. <laughs> <laughs> God, I thought I was going to come and hang out on your on, on, on your mega on yacht. my yacht. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We could fit right. two of us in, but you have to row. So <laughs> Okay, right. <laughs> okay, well... Uh, well, uh, and, and your wife, she doesn't have 13 million either. Not that no, I know of. No, okay, right. Um, sorry, sorry to be disappointed. Um, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, if you both did have 13 million, you could leave $26 million without paying tax. Actually, just under 26 million, but mm -hmm. round number, $26 million without paying tax. You can give away or leave in your lifetime up to $26 million. That's the unified gift and estate tax. So I often get questions around, hey, Adam, I want to give my kids $100,000 or $200,000. Know, can I do this without paying tax? Or, or there are other questions around what is the amount of the annual gift someone can give every year? And it's not necessarily that important right now. If you're way under that limit, you know, you can give as much of where as you want, and you're not affected by estate tax. Now, to go into things a bit more, though, yes, you can give away $17,000 a year as the annual gift tax exclusion, right, mm -hmm. uh, per gift, per person. So husband and wife, you can give away $34,000 to each child. You mm -hmm. can give it to your nieces and nephews. Hey, you could give it to me and you. Some random person can gift us, you know, husband and wife, $34,000 each, Eric, right? So you can give significant amounts away using the annual exclusion. Now, why would you want to keep within the annual exclusion? The only but, reason to say, yeah. Well, I was going to say, because if I'm not mistaken, if you go over that, that's when you have to report it. It still isn't taxed, right? I, from what I understand, right. uh, but you you do have to report it. If you, So if you, if you as an individual decided to give $25,000 to somebody, it would have to be reported to the IRS, right? Absolutely. You've, okay. got, you've got to fill out a gift tax return, which is really easy to do. You just let your accountant know, or if you're doing TurboTax, you, know, you click the thing that, that you've uh, 
given away a hundred thousand dollars or forty thousand mm-hmm. dollars and that way the federal government can can keep track and apply it against your uh your you know what what did I say your twenty six million dollars yeah. <laughs> that that you can give away. Yeah, that's uh, that's still not happening. Um, and if there's listeners that do want to test this theory and, and send money to Adam or myself, <laughs> by all means, we'll, we'll report about means. it on the podcast. We'll, we'll definitely yeah. talk about it on the podcast if we get checks like that. Yeah, yeah. You know, you can give us a hundred thousand each. Just just make sure you. I'll fill out, out a gift. form. Yeah, fill out the gift. Ta- we'll <laughs> fill out the gift tax return for you. Yeah. Um, God, I, I hope I'm allowed to say this without getting into trouble. That's just a joke, okay? <laughs> for the, for the authorities. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, we're not soliciting to be we're not soliciting the podcast. Though, this is a free no. podcast, 100% yeah. free. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So the next thing, the next big snafu I see is when someone dies is not filing a 706 tax return. And often, some CPAs don't even know about the 706, or they don't realize why the 706 is important. And the 706 is the final tax return you do when somebody dies. And you have to do it if you're above that $26 million or $13 million for an individual. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you've got to file it. Well, actually, I would say above that $13 million if you die. If you and your wife are worth $13 million and, and, and one of you dies, you got to f- file the, the 706. Less than that, you're not required to, but it's often a really good idea. The okay. major reason why it's a really good idea is because you can check a box on it calling uh, electing portability. That enables you to take the $13 million exemption <laughs> that your spouse was entitled to and apply it to your own exemption for when you die. So that $13 million still becomes $26 million. Oh, right? okay. okay. If you, if you don't check that box... Um, or if you don't have a trust set up to to make that happen, you can't get portability. And the estate tax exemption may well come down. And so that portability box, you know, let's say we go back to the previous estate tax exemption of, of, of I don't know, we'll call it $10 million for a couple. Mm-hmm. You get $5 million each, which we got a lot of debt to pay. So estate tax exemption may well be coming down. So it would become really important that you have checked portability if your spouse dies, right? Yeah. So something I often see get overlooked or I have to tell accountants, hey, please make sure you file the 706. There are other reasons why you should file a 706 as well to establish a basis on certain assets they have, especially around real estate. But file a 706, people. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay, item number eight, snafu number eight. This is a pretty major one. I just alluded to it. Not understanding that these huge uh, exemptions that we have right now, the $13 million and the $26 million, just under. Do you know Do you know when there was happening with them, Eric? Yeah, it rolls back, right? So it rolls back to what it was previously. And I do have a question about that because I'm not, you know, I want to ask if people are going to be grandfathered in. So in other words, I think it's 2026. It rolls back to the previous. So you said $5 million each instead of $13 million each. So before that rolls back, can people give away that $26 million as a couple and it not be rolled back the next year? Right. So, so yeah, it's uh, in 2026, it's going to go, it's actually, I think it's going to go back to, um, it's actually going to be halved. Um, uh, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, I was just giving the five as an example, because I think that could well come in, uh, legislation should, if, if the Democrats got their way if we had an all a democrat you know 
um, uh, you know, wh- whatever you guys call it, government, mm-hmm. <laughs> the three branches of government, I'm sure the Dems would love to get this estate tax exemption even lower than, mm-hmm. than it's going to happen. But in 2026, it's going to sunset to what it was before Trump increased it and Trump doubled it. Okay. And then it's increased with inflation. To get to your question, Eric, yeah, I mean, you should speak to your tax advisor and your attorney about this. But my understanding is, yes, you could give away your $26 million now. And as long as you do it now and you file the gift tax return, you're fine, right? Even mm-hmm. if, the, if the Dems were to reduce it drastically, you would have given away the money to, to your kids. So, yes. Yeah. Yeah, so, and I guess that's why I'm bringing it up is that either people need to start doing strategies to yeah. take advantage of this high exemption, or I see people who don't have a proper trust in place because they don't have in place the estate planning that will account for the fact that uh, that the exemption is going to drop. And there are things you can do with estate planning to make sure that you will not be hit by the higher, effectively by those estate taxes that will kick in. If you create the trust now properly, you know, you're going to be able to get around that to a certain extent when, when the limit lowers, right? You shouldn't take it, you shouldn't just take it for granted that you're going to be able to, you're not going to pay estate tax because the limit is so high. One mm-hmm. of going back to your point, Eric, yeah, it may be to give away significant sums now to your kids, to gift significant sums to your kids. Uh, to take advantage of the higher exemption now. Yeah, yeah. All right. What's number nine? Number nine, Snafu, is is uh, not using strategies to plan for mm-hmm. the sunsetting or lowering of the state tax. So I just really you know, alluded to that. You, you should start gifting to your kids, getting money out of your estate now if you're above, uh, if you're going to be above uh, the 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 new 2026 limit, or you're going to have to, or, or just make sure that you redo your trust documents to make sure that you, uh, that you get around those limits when, when they happen. Yeah. Um, I, I, I hate to say get around, um, because it's, it's not like getting around. It's, it's not, yeah, but yeah, there's yeah. rules in place for a reason. And as, as long as you're playing within the rules and doing things legally, there are all sorts of quote unquote loopholes or, or things like that, that, that businesses and, and professionals have taken advantage of for a very long time. Now people say, well, it's not paying their fair share. Um, yes, it is. They pay their fair share, but they also know the rules on what they can do to eliminate overpaying taxes. That's for sure. Right, right. Absolutely. And by the way, one of those strategies is something as simple as electing portability. You know, if, yes. if, if your spouse was to die now, or if you're, or if you have aged parents, which is often the case, you know, with the kind of people I'm dealing with, they have aged parents, make sure that they click portability. Cause that's, that's one of the mistakes I see CPAs making. They yeah. think, Oh, well, they're way under the exemption. So I don't need to bother with 706 and portability. Yeah. But the exemption's coming down. So you need to make sure Absolutely. you click, um, portability. Yeah. I had never heard that before. So that's, that's beautiful. I had never heard that before. Again, I'm not in that position yet, but who knows, right? right. Maybe I will be. And, and yeah. that'll be very, very important. Right. Absolutely. Okay. So, uh, we're, we're on to number 10. Can you number believe 10. Eric? Number 10. I wish I had a drum roll for you. All <laughs> right. Good. Well, number 10 is quite a big one. So that's why I've left off the last. So biggest snafu is not having a trust, particularly in states like California. It's mm-hmm. essential in California. If you have over a hundred thousand dollars in assets, so I'm going to get into that in a second. Or having a trust that's old or out of date or the wrong trust, right? That's been created for a previous kind of tax 
jurisdiction and tax rules change just as we're talking about mm -hmm. so you need to make sure that you update your trust to make sure that it's taking advantage of the most current tax environment so one thing in california to uh, and it's to be aware of it's, it's probably around the country but i know california people have a common misconception when i say a hundred thousand dollars in assets that you need to have a trust first of all why is that? It's because if you have over $100,000 in assets, your estate goes to probate. And probate in California is very expensive and time-consuming. Not the case in all states. The, mm -hmm. That's not the case in Texas, even though, um, yeah, so it may not be so essential in Texas as it is in California. But in California, probate is expensive, time, very time-consuming. It can take years, right? Yeah. Uh, you have a trust, you save on the money of the lawyers and the courts, and you uh, and you have immediate access, you know, to to your own money, right? It's you mm -hmm. and your wife's money, right? And it's not having to go through probate. What people often misunderstand is they think, oh, I don't have a hundred thousand dollars, right? I've got a million dollar house, but I got a million dollar mortgage. Yeah, they look at that million dollar house, or they look at that two hundred thousand dollar house with a two hundred thousand dollar mortgage, and they say, we don't care about the mortgage. We just care about the fact you have a house that's worth two hundred thousand wow. dollars. Yeah, that is an asset. Your net worth may be zero, but you're going into probate and you are paying probate fees on $200,000, which since your net worth is zero, you can't even afford to pay these wow. thousands and thousands of dollars of probate fees. Yeah, that's terrible. So make sure you have a trust. Um, so the next thing I want to get into around the trust is that traditionally, we often had uh, what are called AB trusts. And the B, uh, B trust is also known as, as a credit shelter trust. And what a B trust enabled uh, you to do was that the first spouse, uh, the first to die, as we call it, the first spouse who dies, that the money that they have, their share of the pie, uh, they can direct it to, say, go to the kids, uh, but their spouse can still live off the income. So the spouse still, in a way, controls it, but the surviving spouse gets the income from the B-Trust. But ultimately, the B-Trust assets will go to the kids when the surviving spouse dies. Now, there are two reasons for doing this. One reason is so that, uh, you know, let's say, Eric, uh, if you have an AB trust and uh, and your wife dies and uh and you now may get a new lease of life and you want to go and marry, you know, the local uh, cheerleader or cheerleader coach or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> You're getting me in trouble. <laughs> right, right, exactly. And, you know, funny things happen to people um, as they get older. And suddenly, you know, that cheerleader, uh, uh, she starts wanting you to leave her all, her, all your money or her kids um, mm -hmm. all your money, right? And by having a B-trust, your wife, make sure that her half of your estate, of your combined estate, will go to your kids. That's one of the advantages of a, of a B-trust. The disadvantage of a B-trust is if, let's say, your partner was to die at 60, your spouse was to die at 60, and the survivor lives, to, you, Eric, you live to 100, well, that B-trust will have increased in value quite a bit. But going back to step up in basis, its step-up in basis was locked 40 years ago on your wife's death. And mm -hmm. if it has doubled, tripled, gone up 10 times in value, when you die, your kids are going to owe a ton of money on that B-trust. Whereas it. if it had all stayed in your name, 
if your wife could trust you, so to speak, or if you guys were older, if you're in your 80s or your 90s, you might not want to have an AB trust at that age. Mm. And then when it all goes to your kids, they're not going to pay any capital gains tax, right? Because it's all going to be getting back to that thing of step up and basis. Okay. All of the assets are going to be as if you bought them on the day of your death. And if you sold them, you, you know, you wouldn't owe any tax. So, and so when your kids sell the assets, if, if they're all hundred percent owned by you at that point in the, in, in one trust, they're not going to owe any tax. Yeah. Okay. Any questions, any clarifications? Well, I do that? have one question about yeah. the whole probate versus non-probate. You said over a hundred thousand dollars. So let's say in California, somebody's living in a, in an old beat up RV, mm-hmm. right? Living in a beat up RV, it's worth 10 grand. They've got, you know, 10 grand in their, in their savings account. Um, they're not going to hit that hundred thousand by any means. However, they have a life insurance policy for $2 million. Does that life insurance, is that life insurance policy taken into account as part of that hundred thousand dollars or more? Would that end up in probate? Uh, no, uh, okay. that's my understanding because that, that life insurance will have a beneficiary on it. Correct. So I should say that as long as beneficiaries are named on your assets. So going back to you know, potentially yep. you can hold a, a, a house in a certain way that it's not going to go, that it's not going to go into probate. But if a husband and wife were both to die and they had it as, as joint tenants, or if you're a single person and you own the house, it's going to go into probate. Right. Yep. But if you have a beneficiary listed, it, it is possible to avoid probate without a trust. So good Goes point. back Thank to you. number four, right? <laughs> right. Update your beneficiaries. Right. Right. Exactly. Okay. I'm actually not necessarily a big fan of AB trusts in the current environment, right? Mm-hmm. But I'm going to say another pro of, I'm going to say two other pros of an AB trust. Okay. So this is the, this, the B trust, just repeat that that's if your wife dies first or the first to die, that money is ultimately locked in to go to, to, to her beneficiaries, to your beneficiaries, um, uh, or as you guys determined, you know, in the trust to your mm-hmm. kids when the second to die dies, right? That's been decided. Now, the growth of that, the growth of it will stay outside of your of your estate. So even it so they were very popular, you know, when the estate tax exemption was much lower, because people were very afraid that their that their net worth was going to grow over their lifetime. And as as it grew, they were going to end up paying more and more estate tax because they were way above the estate tax exemption when it was lower. So one way to stop that happening was to have the B trust, which got it out of the survivor's estate because it was considered the estate of the first to die. So they left it with their estate tax exemption. If the estate tax exemption back in the day was $3.7 million, you, the wife would have left her $3.75 million to the kids. It didn't go to them right away, but mm-hmm. it was considered to be out of the estate of the survivor. Okay. So even if it grew in value, it didn't matter. Yeah, you'd end up paying capital gains, but you wouldn't pay a state tax on it if it grew from three point seven five to seven million dollars. No estate tax due. Okay. Um. So you know that's not been important for most people in recent years because the exemption is so high. But if the exemption comes down again, that'll be another strategy to why people want to start using B trust is to get it out of the estate. So. Two pros are make sure the deceased wishes, the deceased spouse's wishes are honored, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it can't go to the cheerleader's kids. It's going to go to her kids. And it makes sure that the growth is out of the estate during times that that, that, that actually matters. 
But the downside is in the current environment is you don't get the step up in basis. Yeah, because mm-hmm. the state tax is not currently an issue for most people. But going back to the, if you survive for 40 years after your deceased spouse, the kids are going to pay a lot of capital gains on her half when they finally get their sticky hands on it. <laughs> all right. Well, you've gone through all 10. What are your closing thoughts for today's podcast? Right. So the the closing thoughts are that we actually, well, you know, the first thing is some of this stuff you can do yourself, like go online, some of the simple stuff, you know, mm-hmm. through through one through five, or, you know, uh, get an attorney, we can help you do it too. just reach out to, to us for some, um, uh, for some of the simple stuff, we may be able to hook you up with an attorney. If you need an estate plan, we can actually do that in collaboration with an attorney and something called the estate planning source, we mm-hmm. can actually do that very affordably for clients and we might be willing to do it for other people for i think like two and a half thousand to three thousand dollars for which in california is is a bargain which is why i'm working with these people because it's so difficult to get affordable very good estate planning and you know we can make it very efficient for the attorney so you know reach out to us if you need estate planning and we will uh, we will see what we can do for you yeah i I don't know where you can spend that little bit of money and get as much peace of mind as you could possibly get for yourself and your spouse and your kids, knowing that these things are handled instead of being up in the air. So I, I think that's that's fantastic. How, how do they get a hold of you? So one way is to go to the website, which is www.wellacrewealth.com. And uh, they can also give us a call on uh, 310-220-4946. So that's 310-220-4946. All right, Adam, I appreciate your time. Thank you for all the updates. Thank you for all the great education. Um, I will update you if if it ever comes to the point where I need to deal with that 26 million thing. Oh, Don't great. You know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Look, look forward to it. And, and if you want to give me a big gift as well, <laughs> when you do. We'll talk about that off air. How about do. that? <laughs> right, right. All right. Well, again, Adam, thank you so much for your time. And our last thank you, of course, goes to you listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Red Carpet Retirement Podcast with Adam Scott. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Adam comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. And we humbly ask you to share this podcast, right? And leave a review as this actually does help others find the show. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Wellacre Wealth, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Wellacre Wealth Management, LLC. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content should not be considered as legal or tax advice, nor is it intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor and consult with your own legal and tax professionals before taking any action.